Hi, we're Rachel Jacobson and Lauren Roof, and this is Mystical Thinking, a podcast for exploring spiritual identity through the lens of the mystics, thinkers, and everyday people. In our very first episode, we want to dedicate space to exploring some of our questions about life and how we live it with a sense of mystery. So Rachel and I met after college. Our parents are from the same small town in Oregon, and we were introduced to the mystics through similar paths, um, which Rachel will help me discuss in a bit. But we both just share this common thread of kind of experiencing a shift in spiritual identity, particularly as evangelical Christians. Um, especially with the kind of social conditioning you undergo as a woman in the church. So that's how we connected. Um, The short version of this experience for me has been dealing with um, a lot of other people's expectations about how my life is and how it should work, as well as kind of this failed expectation I had of myself of, you know, being married by my late 20s, being into the thick of raising kids by my 30s. And so when that didn't happen for me, there was this space that opened up and this uh, kind of invitation to uh, revisit those expectations of myself and also the expectations I had of God in that process. Um, So what Rachel and I have been discussing, both with each other and other important people in our lives, is how we create more room for this space in our lives and others. Um, In this space, belief starts to shift around, and suddenly there's a sense of isolation or loneliness that can creep in, which, as it turns out, is a very common experience for millennials to be having through their 30s. Um, Deconstruction is a part of this, but beyond deconstruction, an idea that really has fascinated and captivated me is this idea of reconstruction. How can we take the pieces of our faith or maybe our spiritual identity or our projections onto God that have fallen to pieces and start rebuilding our lives? And rebuilding for me has always meant not what I'm reacting against, but what aspects of God himself have survived that process, that stripping away and actually can be generative and fulfilling moving forward in my life. Um, So to speak to that, it can feel like a very disorienting process and especially entering a season of pandemic, um, it's important to connect with others and to talk about this. And so that's what Rachel and I are um, really looking to do. And so I'll let Rachel speak a bit more to that theme in her own experience in her own life. Yeah, something that we're hearing and um, expressing sentiments around is this idea of, are we having a midlife crisis? A lot of what we anticipated for our lives is looking different in our actual lived experience. And I think there's been a reckoning. We're two years into a pandemic. We're navigating deep ruptures at every level. We have this unprecedented collective experience. Um, There's social isolation, racial unrest, a reckoning with whiteness, as Krista Tippett coined it. And even though the specifics look different for each of us, I think we've been forced to face ourselves in our relationships, 
the frameworks of our spirituality in ways that are complicated and often quite uncomfortable. I think that's where that question comes in of what am I doing? What, where's this monotony and listlessness coming from? Am I having this midlife crisis? And if you've been following this checklist for life, Lauren, you spoke to kind of matching the format and dealing with other people's expectations about your life or how it should look. There's usually something that disrupts that trajectory. I think many of us would say we're in the middle of that right now. And there's this term that my therapist uses that maybe you've heard that, that she calls existential grief. And it's really stuck with me. I think it has a profound collective meaning for us currently, speaking to the sadness experience over this inability to find meaning in loss. And the question of how do we find meaning in loss in, in the ways that our life has changed or our beliefs have changed. Um, and I'm not talking about finding a glossy silver lining or making sense when there's no sense to be made, but I believe there's this invitation to deeper exploration and work here. I think that's what Lauren and I have been talking about both with each other and other people in our lives. Questions like, what do we make of the losses we're navigating? How do they inform our questions about life? How do we build a life that possesses the qualities of what we're about, what we're moving to, not just what we're against or what we're leaving behind? There's no roadmap, which I think can be really isolating and lonely. Even if you have the permission to explore those things and to feel like you can kind of move into uncharted territory, it's it's hard to know where to go. Um, I think they require that we draw on courage, on creativity and curiosity. Uh, Carl Jung wrote something that, um, and he said, it's not the young, but the people in the middle age who need to have an experience of the numinous to help them negotiate the second half of their lives. And I don't know that all of this identifies middle age yet. I definitely feel like an elder millennial. And um, I think Lauren and I actually had to look up that definition. So we have a little time there maybe, but I think I what love he's speaking it. to, yeah, is, is really timely for us that um, we have to be willing to face things and feel things. And I think the mystics have a lot to reveal to us in these spaces. Uh, a question Lauren and I are exploring today and we'll be exploring in the coming episodes is how do we not lose our bearings? As we move from these rigid ways of looking at the world, um, to hopefully more of an ability to listen and to engage mystery and to sink into our own belovedness and recognize the belovedness of the other, all things the mystics invite us to. I think there's this continual invitation to look within. I love that, Rachel. And just really resonates with me, the phrase, the belovedness of the other, and kind of reckons um, the voice of Henry Nowen. Um, he wrote a lot on belovedness. Um but we are hosting this conversation uh, very open-endedly with other wise people we trust, people we know, um, whose spiritual journeys have been affected by these bigger existential questions of meaning. And also people we know who have been um, led by the mystics or comforted by their words during times of confusion or maybe spiritual aridity in their own lives. Um, so our interviews for season one could range uh, a number of directions. For what we're looking at now, we'd like to explore uh, this collective sense of grief, whether that's through the theme of the pandemic, it could arc to our current political crisis and the, the divisions uh, we navigate within our own families, um, the divisions we navigate within ourselves and our own sense of identity. Um, to range to more lighthearted topics or topics that cover um, conversations with artists and poets and life coaches or even authors, um, giving some insight into the problems of how we overcome 
um, things like self-consciousness or release some of our creative blocks and circling back around, I think eventually to this theme of cultivating our spiritual identity. So I'm going to let Rachel kind of take us through um, her own experience of the mystics and her, a bit of her own personal story of how kind of we've come together as podcast hosts. Yeah. I love that you mentioned Henry Allen Lauren, because I think he was one of the early writers that I, and spiritual guides that I really learned from. I don't know that he's technically a mystic. He probably is more of the, in more of the contemplative space, but um, he's been really influential for me. Um, But I think I discovered the mystics in my mid twenties. I, it was because of Henry Nowen and, and poets like David White and other writers that kind of brought me to their work and led me to some of the modern day mystics. I've been really influenced by the works of Richard Rohr, uh, Rilke, Cynthia Bourgeau. Um, and though I was raised in this evangelical realm, um, I think my parents passed on a deep appreciation for wonder and mystery, which probably predisposed me to mysticism and gave me a sense of expansiveness and exp- being able to explore those um, those realms. And my mom and dad first met, uh, they were living on a commune in Oregon. They had both been raised in devout Catholic families. But as young adults, they were influenced by the Jesus movement and became a part of the evangelical movement for many years which was a really formative part of my childhood. Um, But it wasn't until I was an adult that I felt the significant gap between what I thought life would look like and the actual experience of my life. Uh, The expressions of evangelical Christianity that really emphasized dichotomous thinking and held to more of a rigid framework for life um, that didn't really prepare me for complexity. There was this phrase I read in Richard Rohr's The Enneagram that said I could trust myself, which in and of itself sounds simple, but it really was striking to me. Um, I think I had valued having the right answers. So it was difficult to grapple with longing, with loss and uncertainty, just all these really central themes to the human experience. Uh, I found that the mystics and the poets were the ones speaking to those things. They also often forged uh, pretty unconventional lives outside of society's prescribed formats. Um, They showed me a way with the unknowns of life. And there is this vision, some of you might relate to this, kind of of a woman in the church. Like she's usually a wife and a mom. And um, I think we had a lot of models for who we could be within those roles. And that was something I really wanted. But as I got older, it felt less relatable to me as time wore on. Um, Instead of having kids by our 30s, my husband and I were facing like big faith transitions that landed us in very different places in our beliefs. Um, I had a miscarriage after years of waiting to become a mom. So I was looking kind of to different people to really speak into how I should navigate those things or how I could navigate um, this uncharted territory. And even though those experiences brought my husband and I closer together, it was really disorienting and isolating. Um, The mystics were these spiritual guides who provided a creative imagination for my life as it was and not as I wanted it to be and, and for knowing God in that place. Their words helped me uncover hope just within ordinary struggles and they spoke to an expansiveness um, that we find in receiving our own lives and the expected places that God meets us. Uh, I love that Rilke invites us to nurture and treasure the questions, which is easier said than done. Um, but he kind of invites us to walk with them. And I think in the translation from Joanna Macy and Anita Barrows, I just, I love how they put it. Um, it says, I ask you, dear sir, to have patience with all that is unresolved in your heart and to try to love the questions themselves like closed rooms, like books written in a foreign language. Don't try to find the answers now. They cannot be given anyway, because you would not be able to live them. 
for everything is to be lived. Live the questions now. Perhaps you then may gradually, without noticing, one day in the future, live into the answers. And that's an invitation I've returned to again and again. The mystics lived with this wholehearted reverence for the experience of their lives, for the sense of divine presence in the midst of the ordinary. Um, and I think they really helped me develop a theological imagination um, and, and helped me find a way to hold to faith in these challenging places. I love that phrase, the theological imagination, because it holds the space for exactly what you're speaking to, Rachel. Um, life disruptions, disappointments, and so much of maybe how we've been taught to think about theology is as this rigid structure that is unbending and unchanging. And the phrase imagination reminds us that God is truly out of the box. He is truly beyond our wildest comprehensions. And I think that is a really beautiful just way to describe that. Um, so much of your story, Rachel, resonates with my own. The mystics were really something, or someone rather, that taught me how to see truth with a heart that is open to experience and to possibly correction rather than grasping for these quick fix um, boxed answers. The mystics have really taught me personally that what comes from the mystical experience is subjective and is open-ended because it's through our personal experience that we approach these topics of wisdom and these encounters with God. And that format truly accommodates for the whole of life. Um, something that I have found true is that many people in our generation have left the faith of their youth or have left the faith that they were raised in because there was no room and there was no space for the expansiveness of these life experiences, the disruptions, the heartbreaks, the relational fractures, the doubts. Um, and I think the mystics are so essential because they make space for this. They are the margin for this. And I think it, they are honest with the limitation of, of life. And that's truly what has given me such a draw and such a pull toward their, their way of experiencing God and their way of thinking. Um, I too have a background as an evangelical Christian, and that gave me a very rich relationship with God. Um, I have deep family roots actually in the Catholic tradition on both sides of my family. And so my parents were kind of the, the rule breaker, like evangelicals that branched out and, and tried something new. Um, I actually have several great aunts and uncles who are priests and nuns in the Benedictine order. Um, my uncle Tim was actually an ordained priest and marriage and family counselor for many years. Um, he operated out of this tiny village in Alaska in his latter years of his life and would fly his Cessna plane um, into remote villages um, to minister to his congregation up until his 80s. And so there's a sense of, you know, the spiritual lineage that goes beyond just me, beyond just my experience of God in this hyper-personalized way, but like this spiritual tradition and lineage that is just so fascinating to me personally. Um, but yeah, I would just like to transition from our own stories to kind of the broader cultural narrative that we are facing 
um, I would say for me, as for many other Christians I speak with, the year 2016 presented a crucible moment. Um, Geopolitically, American evangelicals polarized and crystallized largely around nationalism in the election. And we're promoting this kind of rhetoric of cultural entrenchment. Um, And in that rhetoric, they tended to discredit the other with political flame throwing, um, which was extremely distressing to me, um, specifically of what I knew of my own faith tradition, embracing the other and teaching enemy love. And so what I was left with is kind of this frayed loyalty to what I understood to be true of God, of myself. Um, Some of it happened within my family of origin. Um, As I was uncovering my own identity differing from my family of origin, a lot of people call that process individuation. I think some of that was happening. And I kind of reached this crisis of between who I was and who I thought I was as I looked in this mirror of my political loyalties, I observed a fracture and it left me with a lot of questions, far more questions than I had answers at the time. Uh, But what really comes to the forefront of my mind during that time is just the sense of isolation and abandonment. And I know that is a deeply common experience for people who are undergoing a life shift and I, and and an identity shift. Um, So needless to say, my relationship with God grew increasingly complex. And I I really leaned into in that moment, a sense of, of nuance, I sought out nuance in every possible way, and place that I could find it. And in that pursuit, I, I desperately wanted to access thinkers who saw beyond polarities, who are able to engage in the dead center of, of these fractures that I was experiencing personally and witnessing on the political stage. Um, and really learning from those thinkers and those people who were set apart, um, whether they were writing or teaching on these topics, like gathering a more dignified response to the turmoil that I was facing and that so many others have faced. Um, So for me, this was mystics like Thomas Merton, um, like Howard Thurman, um, even people who are still living like Desmond Tutu at the time. And uh, a mystic that has particularly captured my imagination has been Teresa of Avila. Um, She is someone who lived in the 16th century. And so it's kind of weird admittedly to talk about connecting with someone who lived so long ago but that is the beauty of of literature and of writing and authorship is that we can access someone's thoughts that lived far before us but Teresa of Avila is one that um, had mystical visions and experiences with Christ she wrote a book called The Interior Castle and um, long story short I was living in England for a year in 2019, kind of having a timeout moment from America and uh, pursuing higher education. And Teresa's big personality and her admission of all the things she didn't yet know about God, and yet she was leading us on this journey. And it brought me so much comfort 
um, she seemed like the perfect patron saint to guide me through this process of confusion. And in that process, she, like Rilke and his quote about being settled in the unresolved questions, had this way of phrasing, be patient with what is unresolved in your heart. And that was truly just the guiding light for me to not lose hope in this whole process of how do I rebuild my faith? How do I show up in a way that feels meaningful to me, but provides space for others to disagree? Um, and so her voice is really one that, uh, that felt a comfort and a guide to me. And um, her legacy is really something that emboldened me to seek out this path of the mystics. And so I'm going to let Rachel kind of speak to kind of the the future of this podcast uh, on that topic, as well as kind of what uh, themes we're going to be using as guides to lead us through this conversation. Yeah, that's so good, Lauren. I think you've touched on so many themes that many of us are are experiencing and, and just what we're feeling about it, that sense of confusion um, and looking for those spiritual guides who can help us uh, find a way forward and and navigate the disruptions that we didn't foresee. Um, one thing that I'm really anticipating um, is this idea of embodiment, which I know is something that we've been talking a lot about. I think there has been this broad interest in the Enneagram, which really gave us a lot of permission to better understand ourselves and our spirituality. And I think that's really moved into also uh, a fuller understanding of about in a world that insists on defying our expectations. Um, we've seen a lot of restrictions in terms of the pandemic and more boundedness to our own bodies and to place. And, and so we're kind of delving more into that with somebody who has experienced that in their own life. Right. Those are both huge themes for me as well, Rachel. And um, for me, I think the, the episodes I'm looking forward to are um, maybe exploring and diving into this sense of loneliness a bit. Um, loneliness is a word that so many of my personal friends, as well as people I interact with in public, have have mentioned as it relates to this topic of whether it's feeling spiritually alienated or actually just cut off from community. And so um, exploring this as a universal human experience and how do we share it in a meaningful way? Can, can seasons of loneliness actually propel us into seasons of meaning? That's an exciting possibility. Does it always have to be in a negative connotation? Um, and so that's something that I'm really passionate about exploring. Um, there's also this theme that is exciting to me on uh, the ideas of friendship and romance. So this almost lends itself also to the theme of loneliness because um, as at a time when we are all leaning heavily onto our, our relationships and our networks and seeking meaning in, in what exists for us right now, is it possible to have a soul enriching experience with your friends and not also receive that from a dating relationship. I've had many conversations with friends who are, are leaning much more heavily into their, whether it's their family relationships or their friendships as a way of kind of um, being a balm to some of that loneliness. And I think that is such a, a fascinating experience of, of your friendships almost fulfilling this gap 
whether that's for a season or whether that's for a few years, I think um, it really is the case for a lot of us who, who haven't found the person we're meant to be with um, that our friendships are so important and, and sacred in a way. So that's a theme that I'm also excited to explore. Yeah, there's something that we've talked about, I think will be a piece of those conversations too, is what happens when our life doesn't look like what we expect. We thought we'd be at a specific stage, at a specific age, and and how do we continue to grow ourselves up and move ahead in our life even when, so I think that's something too that many of us are feeling as we're making sense of our 30s and being in this season that had a lot of expectations tied to it. Totally. I completely agree. So to kind of cap this off, I know we covered a lot of ground, um, but I think it's really just a good summary of of the the things we're passionate about, the conversations we're hearing about in our own networks. And to just to kind of summarize this whole experience, I'm I'm just kind of wondering if there's anything, Rachel, that you've read or experienced um, that has stood out to you even in terms of this week in regard to the mystics or just this whole bigger conversation about meaning? Yeah, that's such a good question. I think that I'm I'm looking at those places of tension in my life or in some of what we've spoken to today, uh, tension or resistance and, and looking at what those invitations are. We've touched today on what we're moving to. I think I felt seasons of cynicism, which I think is warranted at times, but also looking at um, what we want to cultivate and, and what we want our spiritual identity to. And so that's something that I think I'll be, ruminating on more and looking forward to exploring in the coming weeks with you, Lauren, and with the people that we're bringing on to the podcast. Definitely. I feel that for sure. Um, So I just wanted to leave us with a quote that um, I just feel really kind of bookends this conversation. Um, It's from one of my favorite books, which is, um, It's called I Want You to Be, and it is by Thomas Hollick, who is a Catholic priest and an advocate of interfaith dialogue. And it just really beautifully summarizes um, this whole conversation. So I'll let him speak for the both of us. I am convinced, nevertheless, that those who have undergone that trial and stood the test may have lost many religious certainties notions and illusions but they did not lose god himself they simply experienced that god dwells deeper than they previously thought and were told therefore faith also must launch out into the deep thanks so much for listening we're so grateful you are here and we hold this pause for future conversation. Until next time.